G'day and welcome to Grad Chat, your opportunity to find out about graduate research here at Queen's. My name is CJ the DJ and I'm your host for this week's Grad Chat. Of course, a show like this could not happen without the support of the School of Graduate Studies and CFRC, so thank you to them once again. Now, if your mates miss the shows at any time, you can download the podcast the next day on either SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Podcasts and Stitcher. So no excuse not to hear what our awesome students and postdoctoral fellows are doing. A good way to listen as you're driving along to something interesting. Now today I'd like to introduce you to Shika Gupta who is doing a PhD in Rehabilitation Science under the supervision of Professor Marianne McCall. Welcome to Grad Chat Shika. Thank you Colette for having me here. It's, uh, as you know everyone, it's been quite cold recently (laughs) and it is still cold but that's okay and quite funny because both Shika and I are not from Canada, come from sunnier climates. It always amazes me how cold it can get here. Um, but I do like squeaky snow, so that's not too bad, is it? Have you found the cold yourself? Oh, it's been pretty fine. I've been here in Canada for the last four years now. So, so, so you're I'm, an old hatter, so yeah. you know what to expect and how to wrap up warm. Exactly. Right. So with that, you are an international student, as you mentioned. So why did you, why did you want to come to Canada to do your research? So four years back, when I was looking for opportunities to do my PhD from India, I was having USA, Canada, Australia, New Zealand in my radar. Right. I applied to a couple of universities from there and Queen's University was the first one to accept me. And fortunately, I found a professor who was also interested in the topic that I wanted to explore. Right. So that was two reasons I chose Queen's and since then my experience has been fabulous because Canada is one of the great countries that I believe and Queen's is also one of the best universities within Canada and beyond so I'm I'm quite satisfied here. I have to say I didn't bribe Sheikha at all to say any of that it's just straight from the heart that was and I, I guess it also helped that your husband is doing his PhD here as well. Oh, yes. <laughs> you both came over together, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He started his PhD one year ahead of me. He got a Queen's Elizabeth scholarship from India for the students who belong to Commonwealth countries like right. myself and him. So he was selected first and then I followed him. Yes, yeah, so you two are the, the best ambassadors, I think, that we have at Queen's. So we're very, very lucky to have you both and that the fact that you chose Queen's and good for us, I reckon, for getting in first <laughs> compared to the other universities. So thank Thank you for choosing Queen's. Now, your research topic is called The Extent, Determinants and Consequences of Cost-Related Non-Adherence to Prescription Medications Among People with Spinal Cord Injuries in Canada. Now, can you give us a bit of an overview of what that actually means and why you think it is important? Sure. If I put that thing in context, in Budget 2018, Canadian government asked and proposed an advisory council on the implementation of National Pharma Care under the supervision of Dr. Eric Hoskins. Mm-hmm. So why that happened? Because the Canadian public health system pays for all the physician services as well as hospital services. But prescription medications are something that are not covered for every Canadian. Right, right. Prescription medications are covered for some Canadians through their employers or through the private insurance that they can buy right. or through some of the federal funding agencies, but not 
not every citizen is covered so my research tries to explore what happens when someone who has a long term condition or a disability doesn't have financial access to their prescription medications particularly the question i am asking is if people who have spinal cord injuries do they face any financial barrier in accessing and purchasing their necessary prescription medications right and if not what happens to them what are the consequences for them right first of all who are these people who are not able to fulfill their medications and what happens to them if they do not take their prescribed medications due to the cost right and this phenomenon of not taking the prescribed medication due to cost is called as cost related non adherence non adherence so that's mm-hmm. what the area of interest and that's what i'm exploring within the population who have spinal cord injuries so i guess that comes i'm going to ask you why you personally chose this field because first of all you're from india and this is a very canadian topic true that you're looking at and you're in the rehabilitation science program which makes sense in terms of health and all that sort of thing but to be in that program is it occupational therapy or physiotherapy you're, occupational you're, you're an occupational therapist anyway so you would probably see a lot of people even back home in yeah. India with spinal injuries trying to get back into the workforce yeah. and potentially I'm assuming aren't doing it as well as perhaps they could if they even in back in India if they can't get the medication is yeah. that one of the reasons why you chose this topic here from what you've seen back in, in India and there was easy way to try and look at that here in Canada. That's true. So when I was working in India, I used to work with the Ministry of Health and Family Welfare. Okay. And I used to work on the public health system and during that experience, we realized that most uh, of the expenditure out of pocket expenditure goes for prescription drugs and people take loans fell into debt just to make sure that they have access to healthcare right. and prescription medications play a major role in that expenditure that they make so it was a huge issue back then in india when i came to canada i used to think that canada has one of the best healthcare systems right. that i still feel so uh, however when i started looking at it more deeply and carefully i realized that there are some loopholes and there are some right. people who are falling through the cracks mm-hmm. and at the time when i started reading about the canadian healthcare system along with other issues such as long wait times and wait times for specialist services access to prescription drugs was one of the major issue that was talked about and that was being explored at the time so it's been a few years since the canadian uh, health policy researchers have given the evidence that there are many people who are foregoing their medications due to cost right however when i looked at the literature i found that the voices of people who have disabilities are not represented well in this whole dialogue okay uh, right. somewhere i felt that people who have perhaps the highest needs for the prescription medication okay. and they have additional healthcare costs because of the disability they are somewhere not well represented in this whole dialogue and then when i saw that canadian government is ready to launch or ready to think about national pharma care i thought to myself and then i started to prepare that these voices should be well represented mm-hmm. so that's right. how i proposed this topic to my current supervisor and that's what made me think that i can contribute something to the to the canadian system through this research and that's how i just uh, started this topic and so i'm going to ask you one more question on that then so why patients who have spinal injuries because you could have chosen any disability yeah why the ones with spinal injuries 
so there are many reasons for that uh, first reason is that because i myself being an occupational therapist i had an experience of working with people who have spinal cord injuries very closely okay and then the supervisor i am working with she also has uh, extensive experience of working with working with people who have okay. spinal cord injuries and right. she's herself an occupational therapist just right. like me third reason was people with spinal cord injuries represent a typical population of people with disabilities who have physical limitations as well as many other additional healthcare costs uh, because right. of the multiplicity of chronic secondary health conditions that they face due to spinal cord injuries so it was a mix of reasons that made me to choose this population however i would definitely would like to extend my work to the other populations okay. because i do not want to underestimate the heterogeneity that we have within mm. the people with disabilities right. every person has its own unique challenges so i would definitely like in future to expand this work to other populations special vulnerable populations but for my phd project I try to focus on people who have spinal cord injuries. Now, even with spinal cord injuries, and you mentioned everyone has varying degrees of disability, because even with spinal cord, if it's higher up exactly. the spine or lower in the spine, it can have a huge difference. Yeah. So how did you determine which area of the spinal cord, or, or are you looking more at those that are having more medications that are required, or the ones that have a specific spinal injury from a, a certain area of the spine? Because you've got, you've got to be able to frame it somehow yeah. don't you and yeah. collect a certain amount of data otherwise you'd yeah. be going all over the place <laughs> yeah that's a very good question so for this study particular research we have included people who have traumatic as well as non-traumatic causes of spinal cord injuries but we do not segregate people or exclude people depending on their level of injuries okay actually that's one of the factors that we are analyzing to see if people who have lower level versus higher level of injuries who are the ones who face most of these barriers to fulfill their prescription medications okay, okay. so in this research because we wanted to know that who are these people who are at risk we wanted to analyze if people who have traumatic versus non-traumatic injuries are they the ones who are facing more barriers or the people right. who have lower versus higher injuries or people who have quadriplegia versus paraplegia mm -hmm. uh, are those the ones who are facing more such issues so we are trying to analyze uh, who are the ones who are falling through the cracks. I don't know if you know this question, but when we're talking about prescription medication, is there a, a range of dollars between kind of like the minimum amount that people are on to the worst case scenario of yeah. how much it would be costing an individual per year? Yeah. Yeah. Do you have an average of that? Yeah, actually, the according to the available research that we have, any particular household that spends more than three to four percent of their household income on medications is considered as catastrophic okay so if uh, if a person or if i talk about a single person according to the available research that we have if someone is spending more than hundred dollars a month on their all prescription drugs right. they are more likely to lead to cost-related non-adherence okay However, okay. this is highly variable between two persons because it depends on someone's financial situation. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we have seen that people even spend more than $100. They consider their medications as the top priority. So they cut back on other things, but okay. they keep taking their medications. They cut okay. back on food, heat 
car, other leisure related activities right. to make sure that they take their medications as prescribed. There are people who have other needs to fulfill they cut back on their medications to make sure they have enough food or they have heat they have money to pay their mortgage or to pay their rent so we are seeing a whole range of people as well as the rationing behaviors they mm-hmm. take to manage the medication cost burden so with that too i'm thinking about the cost i mean as an occupational therapist of course you want to get people to a point where they're living comfortably and can go back to work sure okay so i guess that comes into your thing too so if they're missing their medication for whatever reason that's not good because that's going to stop them from going back to work if they're missing food and everything that's not going to help them so it's a bit of a vicious circle isn't it yes yes Uh, with the advancing knowledge of occupational therapy our primary goal is to make people back as independent as possible possible. however we see that there are many factors that affect them to reach that goal and that's why this topic is important being an occupational therapist everybody asks me why the medications and this doesn't look like related to your field however access to healthcare and making people living comfortably within the resources they have Mm -hmm. is very much part of our field so we are trying to see this in a holistic way and that's why in the research one of the most important components is the consequences of cost-related non-adherence where it involves both the health consequences as well as social consequences right Mm -hmm. health consequences means if people are not taking their medications as prescribed are they going to the hospitals more are they ending up in the emergency departments more or are they making more use of physician services right because that has long-term implications on our health system yes And then the social consequences uh, deal with what do they do if they do not have enough money to purchase their medications? Do they cut back on food? And then what happens? Do they cut back on their other health care related needs such as they cut back on their wheelchair, cutting back on their other supplementary diet or other medications that they need to take that are over the counter? I'd also think if you're talking social is that they may not want to go out and about and meet people too. I mean, meeting, meeting up with people is a is a great healer yeah i thought I, well i think and so if they're not feeling up to meeting people that's just a slippery slope isn't yeah. it of yeah. getting depressed and all those other yeah. things that yeah. come into yeah. play actually it is coming out very well in my research because this involves both the quantitative part and the qualitative interviews with these people and that's why i wanted to talk to them in a in a personal way so that i can understand what are the social consequences that they face due to the barriers they face financially to fulfill their basic needs such as medications. So I I guess then how did you collect the data for your project? This study is a mixed method study uh, where we have both the quantitative as and a qualitative component. Quantitative components means that we designed an online survey to reach to the Canadian population in any province. Right. Uh, that's why okay. we chose to collect data through the online survey. We had good evidence that people with spinal cord injuries are good users of internet right they yes. often go to the internet are fairly literate and able to use the computer so we thought we wanted to reach to the people who are living in the hard to reach areas or the provinces that are not close to ontario right. so i thought choosing this method would allow me to reach to these people without having them travel for long distances or me travel there in other provinces but who chooses those people are you asking the physicians to reach out to them or the hospitals or what 
happened we actually obtained some help from various organizations who are working for these people some of them are Rick Hansen Institute or Canadian Spinal Research Organization okay, right. Spinal Cord Injury right. Canada so these are the organizations that have their client database so what we did they sent either an email invite to their clients or they just posted the study information on their website okay. or their social media platforms pages. So that's some, basically these people are self-selecting whether yeah, they want to be a part of your exactly, study. Exactly, exactly. So we provide the whole information about the study and if they find this interesting, they just go to the survey link and complete the information right. we are asking right. for. So we propose that we will collect data from at least 120 people. Mm-hmm. So far we have 160 participants in the study. Fantastic. And then on that survey the people who said that yes they face cost related barriers to fulfill their medications we establish a contact with them to ask if they would like to be interviewed okay. that's how the qualitative piece was right. completed so far I have had 12 interviews uh, with so people. I mean if they're not in in Kingston I guess you're doing it through Skype or something are yes you? yes right. I am doing it either through the telephone or yes. the Skype whatever is comfortable for them right. and if I'm able to travel then I go to Toronto Ottawa, Kingston, the nearby cities to the Queen's University. So what kind of if it's okay, what kind of questions are you asking them when you're on the phone or or meeting them? Yeah, so because I have already some data from them on the online survey I go through their responses and try to find where are the gaps and where the the most problem lies and then when I go and meet them I basically ask them what happens or how do they make decisions to rationalize on their medications okay what kind of decisions do they make then what strategies do they adopt to ration or balance their medication cost burden what happens between them and their doctors do they tell their doctors or not how do they minimize this burden how do they choose if they have to take like two to three medications and both of all the medications are costly how do they choose that okay i'm gonna take this but i will stop this yes because I mean, that would be something you need to really talk to your doctor yeah. about, which one's the most important. Yeah, and how Not do just they the, make... what's the most cost effective. Yeah, yeah. So sometimes they make decisions just purely based on the cost. Right. Sometimes they make those decisions based on their perceived importance of the medication. Okay. And sometimes they make these decisions based on the negative consequences they might face if they stop taking that medication. Right. And then the third thing I ask them that what are the consequences, both psychological consequences and social consequences, if they are not able to fulfill their medications, what happens to them? So in their own words, I try yes, to how find they, how they feeling, how, how they are feeling about it, and has it caused any psychological stress to them? What about their quality of life? Mm-hmm. What happens? If they are not able to make the ends meet, basically related to their health, what causes them to go to the doctors or ending up in the hospital? Has it happened? Did any of them actually say to you, you know, I I can't afford all the medication, so I actually went back to my doctor and said, I can't afford this medication. Did they actually go and take that step first before potentially cutting out one of the medications? Or is it purely they think, there's no point in going to the doctor because he's going to tell me I need it anyway, but I can't afford it, so I'm going to choose. Yeah, that's a very good point that you have touched upon. Actually, this is one of the most important findings that we are observing in the study. Some people actually have good relationships with their doctors Mm -hmm. and 
before cutting back or continuing on their medication they consult with their doctors right, some good. people who have in who are in a good relationship with their prescribing healthcare professionals it can be a general physician it can be a specialist they actually tell them about their financial situation and then they make those decisions sometimes doctors help them right. by recommending a public drug program for them right something or that, yeah writing the letters yeah they can be on a certain trial perhaps yeah, yeah. yes or writing a generic substitute or a low cost alternative that right. is covered by the provincial drug plans so some people are able to actually do that and get help from their doctors and get prevented from cost related non adherence right however on the flip side of that there are some people who have shared that they do not have such good relationships with their doctors sometimes the doctors are so busy that they do not have time to have such candid discussions about their financial situation right. and then asking them for any help in other cases such for example mostly in kingston people who are at a teaching facility every time they go to meet a doctor they see a new person so, so they don't know the full history even though it's on the system yeah. they don't understand the yeah. history yeah when you do not have a long term or a good relationship with your doctor you do not feel comfortable talking about your financial situation mm-hmm. with the person you are meeting for the first time and they have said that this has made them make decisions on their own based on their own knowledge based on their own discretion whether to stop taking that medication or just continue that and cut back on other right. things. So I'm assuming then those that are in in this group of non-adherents it's because financially they don't have the funds. So I'm assuming then your population that you're looking at are those that their income is low. Exactly. Could it be because they've been out of work for so long because yeah. of their disability yeah. that yeah. they're not getting enough yeah. income. Yeah. So what I have found so far in this research out of 160 people 37% of people have stopped taking their medication due to cost in the last 12 months. Wow. And then when I tried to look at who are these people I found that females, people who have lower income, right, and people who have high additional healthcare cost and high out of pocket cost on medications are the ones who are most likely to forgo their medications right. and lead to cost related non adherence. So were many of these people single? or were they they got um partners and things and families or they all on their own so people who are living alone are the most vulnerable vulnerable to fall through the cracks mm-hmm. that's how that's what we are finding in our study as well as in other research that has been published in other populations uh, we are still analyzing our data right. however these are the initial impressions that we are getting so with that then well what do you want to accomplish from your study i mean yes you can you can say 37% of the group is non-adherence etc and falling through the cracks but with the results of your research what are the next steps what do you want to do is there some sort of training you want to give these people some training to give to the doctors somehow changing the policy for yeah. medical requirements yeah. and things what yeah. are you trying to do so i have three primary audiences uh, for my research work and i want them 
to get to know what is happening with the people who have long term conditions and then what could be done to improve their situation right. so the first and the foremost target audience for my research is the policy makers who are currently making decisions regarding the national pharma care right. there yes. are uh, there are discussions that are ongoing about who should be covered who should be paying for the national pharma care which all drugs should be covered so through my research i'm going to answer some of these questions for people with spinal cord injuries right. so that they can make decisions keeping their concerns in mind so one of my major goal is to make sure that the voices of people who have long term health conditions should be represented and when the decisions are made for the national pharma care these people's needs are being accounted okay the second target audience for my research is the physicians yes. prescribing healthcare professionals doctors nurses and specialists uh, all those people who work with people who have long term conditions and disabilities specifically spinal cord injuries i would like to give this message to them that th- your patients might be facing financial barriers to fulfill their medications yes you can always ask your patients if you have any difficulty in purchasing this med and if they can give them a low cost alternative or a generic substitute that might help their patients to avoid cost related non adherence right, yes. so there are some educational things that we can do to help doctors make those rational decisions for their patients so that's the another target for my research and i guess with that too alternatives to medi- prescribing medication yes. such as going to a physio and people like yes, this yes there, to relieve some of the pain if yeah, that's what's happening yeah there might be low cost generic substitutes because on the market in the pharmaceutical industries there are many drugs that are called me too drugs right and the new drugs that are made they are just the variation of the old drug however they are not therapeutically very beneficial but they have high cost so doctors can always look at the list and compare different drugs right. that are available for the patients and make the uh, decisions regarding the cost and coverage okay so doctors can play a major critical role in helping their patients to avoid cost related non adherence right. and the third group that i wanted to give messages to the consumers themselves right. or the people people themselves who are facing such barriers i want to give this message to them that please talk to your doctor yes. there are possibly good options that you can always go for if you're not able to purchase a particular drug your doctor can help your pharmacist can help or you can take help from the public drug program administrators right. who can help you to find low cost substitutes or who can help you to apply for a public coverage drug coverage so always talk to your doctors and other people who are there it's interesting with the the national pharma care because a lot of the stuff in canada is done by the pro- i mean there's national but it's also by the province yeah so is it going to the, when you say national you're also talking about the provincial health insurance and yeah. all that stuff health is a provincial subject mm-hmm. in canada mostly most of the services are being managed by the provincial government so by the government i mean by the provincial government but there are some measures that can be taken at the federal level yeah both of these levels can may have pre- so when you finish law. this which is a huge project <laughs> and it would be very beneficial for those consumers or those patients who have spinal cord injuries are you hoping then that whatever you can garner out of this project to be able to then use it back in india um, and i know it's a totally different system and everything so things yeah, would have to be yeah. tweaked accordingly yeah. but is this is this 
can you take this and say, look, this is what Canada, we're able to do in Canada. What do we have to do here in India? Yeah, yeah. Actually, that was my long-term goal. The reason I chose to come to Canada was to learn how health system is being managed here, right. because this is considered as still one of the best healthcare systems in the world, and what we can learn from the system and take back to India, right. where we still have lots to do. We have lots of progress in the past few years right. but there are some gaps that need to be filled and what I learned from this study I also learn on various aspects of the healthcare system yes. that's what I'm hoping to take back to India and then see what how the learnings from the Canadian healthcare system can be modified and adapted to the context of India and uh, in future I would yes definitely like to adapt this study and do the similar study in the Indian population right. where you can find much many similarities as well as many dissimilarities so it would be interesting to do that that would be excellent because there's nothing better if you can use whatever you used done here yeah. and implement it back there like I said with a lot of tweaking yeah potentially yeah so the next thing one of the good things about research often you can get funding from different groups and as an international student sometimes it's harder to get funding for your research yeah because there's very particularly with federal ones there's various various things have to be a Canadian citizen and permanent resident etc even though there are a few, but there's not lots. So you were very lucky, weren't you? You were able to get some funding. Yes. So I just came across this funding on Queen's Alumni website that right. was in the Spinal Cord Injury Research. It, this is being managed by a doctor who works at the Kingston General Hospital. Right. So I wrote a brief synopsis of my research and they were able to give me this grant Fantastic. that is called Mark S. Lodge Fund in Spinal Cord Injury Research. So I'm very thankful to them for giving me this grant. It was with this support that I was able to conduct this study right. successfully and I'm hoping that I should be able to share the results of the study with them soon. That's the nice thing here at Queen's because we are so close to Kingston General and Hotel Dew and we do yeah. a lot, as you know, uh, with all the hospitals here in Kingston. So we're very fortunate at that. And so thank you very much to them also for putting some money forward for your for your research. Now, what, before we finish, I just want to uh, let everyone know, first of all, Shika is one of our students who gets involved in all sorts of things and somehow still manages to get her research done. <laughs> <laughs> and the writing and everything you've done. But Shika's been very good. She's been involved in our PhD, what we call our PhD community initiative. But you've done a lot of different volunteer roles as well in, in trying to support other things that are going on on campus. The latest one you're doing is with the Centre for Teaching and Learning yeah. and looking at a new programme. Do you want to yeah. explain a little bit about that? Sure. That is one of the projects that is very close to my heart. So what happened last summer, I happened to attend your boot camp, thesis boot camp that is organised by School of Graduate Studies and Colette. And I happened to meet my fellow students who were doing their PhD, but in the different stages of their PhD. And we realised that we all face academic writing challenges challenges while yes. writing our thesis chapters there are many reasons for it but the primary one being English as our additional language during that time I realized that there should be something that needs to be done in order to understand all these challenges and find out strategies that can help students who have English as an additional language to overcome these barriers so I proposed a project with the Center for Teaching and Learning uh, keeping in collaboration with faculty members from different stakeholders at on Queen's campus School of Graduate Studies Center for Teaching and Learning Queen's University International Center 
and the student academic success services that's called sas we developed a project and we proposed to conduct a small study with the students who are in their phd programs but have english as an additional language as well as their faculty supervisors who have experience in supervising such students to understand what happens and what are the problems that they face with the academic writing and then what could be done to improve their experiences right, right. so since then we got a small funding from center for teaching and learning which is awesome and uh, we have already rolled out the survey with the help of school of graduate studies and so far 56 students have right? responded That's fantastic. on the survey and 16 faculty members fantastic so it just goes to show and and this really was something that Sheikha and her husband at all were very passionate about when they came to us saying <laughs> what do you think and so i'm so glad you managed to get it off the ground with the help of the CTO and that you're getting such great response Yes, it's in great response and it shows that people have many many ideas to share about the academic writing so we are hopeful that till the end of June we will be able to make a report for the Queen's University and share it with the dean and other stakeholders on campus Fantastic. so that we can make the experience of Queen's even more better. Yes, and then we can get the programming in place that's required to assist. Yeah which is what we're all about because we want our students to succeed and we also want them to have a good experience while they're here at Queen's. And like I said, uh, Sheikha is one of our best ambassadors here in the School of Graduate Studies, so we're very, very fortunate. Thank you so much for coming on the show. I know you have a busy schedule and, of course, I'm not sure I'm meant to say this, but Sheikha's got a baby on the way, <laughs> so she's quickly trying to get that research finished so she can just concentrate on the writing in between looking after baby, I guess, when the baby arrives. So so good luck with all of that. Thank you. You'll make a great mum. I know you will. And uh, good luck with the rest of your research. You're doing some really good stuff here. So thank you. Oh, thank you. Thank you for having me here, Colette. It was wonderful. So that's it, everyone. Another week of Grad Chat sadly comes to an end. Don't forget you can do- download this show tomorrow from either iTunes or SoundCloud, Stitcher and Google Podcasts, I think it's called. Until next week, this is CJ the DJ signing off with A Big. Hooray. This podcast is produced in collaboration with CFRC.ca in Kingston, Ontario. CFRC is located on traditional Anishinaabe and Haudenosaunee territory. Infrastructure support for the CFRC podcast project is provided by the Queen's University Faculty of Engineering and Applied Science. For more information or to get involved in podcasting, visit podcasts.cfrc.ca.